0: By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello. What's going on, everyone? My name is Jose Guadalupe Olivares.
2: And I'm Susie F. Garcia. And we are so
1: excited
2: (laughs) excited to talk over one another because we are just really hype about this event. Jose, you go ahead.
1: For sure, yeah. This is the Haymarket Poetry Spring Showcase. We are here in our virtual AWP booth. Uh, As you can see, Susie brought the looks. I don't know what I brought besides myself, but I am here uh, and present. And Susie, tell us about the books and the poets that we are celebrating today.
2: First off, you always bring the energy, Jose. You always bring your own style, which we 100% appreciate. But yes, um, I do miss the AWP looks. So this is me virtually bringing the AWP looks. Uh, And also, I had to get excited for spring. I mean, Midwest is doing what it's doing. It's pretending it's spring. So why not us, too? We've got three amazing authors with us tonight. We've got Maya, Hope, and Noor. All of these authors are going to take poetry, but they're going to take poetry in a different direction. They're all part of our Haymarket Voices conversation. But what you'll see is these poets have each a different way of Bringing us the poetry. So even though they're under this umbrella of Haymarket, they're coming from different perspectives, they're coming from different styles, and they're coming with different ideas. So this is a showcase, but expect everything to be a different, deeper breath, you know? You're going to breathe springtime in one moment, but you're also going to be breathing city life in another moment. You're going to be breathing countryside from someone else. It's going to be a showcase of variety
1: tonight. Absolutely. Um, As you know, uh, because this is our virtual AWP booth. And as I'm sure they are telling you in the comments, we are having a sale, so you can go ahead and pre-order all of these books right now, which I encourage you to do because we have produced these beautiful, one-of-a-kind broadsides in collaboration with Angela Davis-Fegan, who is a Chicago-based visual art maker. Um, And I promise you, you'll want your chance to get one of these broadsides. They really are beautiful and stunning. Susie and I have both been plotting on how we can get our hands on all of them. Um, so it is yet to be determined if we'll be successful or not, but you know, I'm, I'm coming up with different fake email addresses right now to try and get multiple uh, entries into the contest. Um, but it's yeah, like please Pokemon. pre-order. You want to collect them all. So, I mean, <laughs> get out
2: there and get going. Like Pokemon like Go in 2016. Get out there and get them.
1: Yes, absolutely. So take this moment. Please pre-order the books. Pre-orders are very important to what independent bookstores and independent book publishers do. Um, so please encourage your people to pre-order the books, um, and also because the books are really beautiful and we're really proud of them. And we really can't wait to share them with all of you. And we're so excited that you'll get a glimpse of all of that beauty and wonder and truth tonight. Um, So with that being said, Susie, are we ready to get into our first poet?
2: I think we're as ready as we're ever going to be.
1: So let's do it. Excellent. So listen, Uh, I know that this is a virtual AWP booth, but uh, I need you to still be fully present in your body. uh, And I need you to bring your full self. Like, I don't care if you're on the bus listening or, you know, maybe you pull this up. I mean, I hope you're not driving, but hopefully wherever you pull this up, right, uh, I need you to actually make noise and not just sit there and... uh, You know, not make noise. Please make noise. Um, For our first reader, we're going to have the poets read in the order that their books come out. So we are going to kick things off with Hope Wabuki, whose book, The Body Family, will be published in April. Here is Hope's bio uh, bio. Hope Wabuki is is a Ugandan-American poet, essayist, and writer. She is the author of the forthcoming memoir, Please Don't Kill My Black Son, Please. Hope has published in The Guardian, The Root. Los Angeles Review of Books and NPR among others. She is an assistant professor of English and creative writing at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and a founding board member and former media and communications director for the Kimbilio Center for African American Fiction. Wherever you're at, please y'all give all your energy and all your love to Hope Wabuki.
3: Thank you so much Jose Thank you Susie, that was really um, incredible of you um, Thank you so much It's just such a wonderful introduction and thank you for everything you do uh, for Haymarket Books and just in the world and the poetry world, the real world um, Poetry is the real world um, the, the Thank you um, It's an honor to be here reading tonight especially with Noor um, and Maya, two poets who I really, really love and respect and I am Really excited uh, to be here. Um, You know, on a special note, Maya was the editor for my book. And so I've just had the joy of really living in poetry with Maya for the past, (laughs) thanks, Maya, Um, year, past year, year and a half. And, you know, just such a genius and just beautiful, wise soul. So thank you, Maya. And thank you, Noor. It's just been an honor and just so exciting to get to know your work, which is so incredible. And to be sharing the space here with all of you. So, um, the body family, my book that's coming out from Haymarket books, um, it's kind of centered and grounded in the story of my family's escape from Idi Amin's genocide in 1976 and coming to America and kind of dealing with and trying to understand what America is in terms of race and and gender and the, the kind of very troubled history here. And so, um, there's lots of things that kind of the book speaks to in terms of um, race and colonization and kind of spirituality. And how do you kind of find yourself and your culture after being taken over by another culture for so long and being kind of taught and made to feel like you're less than and really having no, no say in, in who you are. And so I've been thinking a lot about colonization. Um, this past few weeks, I think that many of us have been thinking about colonization and when one power um, tries to take over a free and independent state, you know, what's happening with Ukraine right now. And, and um, that's kind of a lot of um, history of African countries um, for for many many years. Whether it's with various European powers, so I'm going to stop talking about it and I'll just read you some poems. Um, but um, so the first poem I'm going to read is called "If Not David." When the British came, they brought their guns and their Jesus. They took our oil and diamonds. They sent our men to fight their wars in Europe, did not send their bodies home. Amin was 18, he learned his lesson well. Kill the other, take what is his. When Amin and his cronies drove the British out, our country chaos, votes ignored already. Amin's killings were called simply a natural byproduct of events. His buddy Aboti, the new president, promoted him, said, Kill more. But later, when Amin's killings grew too much and his buddy abode, said, stop. Amin went after him too, took the throne and laughed. No one can run, he said, faster than a bullet. At times, so many dead bodies were thrown into the Nile River, the water stopped flowing. Hitler, Amin was fond of saying, had the right idea. The next poem is Goliath. Names given, His Excellency Idi Amin, the butcher of Uganda, conqueror of the British Empire in Africa and Uganda in particular, field marshal, al-Hajj, doctor, big daddy, president for life, lord of all the beasts of the earth and fishes of the sea, weight 250 pounds, height six feet four inches, what his former British commander said. A splendid type, a good rugby player, and a reliable soldier, cheerful, energetic, and an incredible person who certainly isn't mad. First instance of torture, nineteen sixty two Turkana massacre, burning alive, beating to death, etc. Overlooked, promoted to head of armed forces, 1963. Awards, distinguished service order, Victorious Cross, Military Cross, Doctor of Law. Seizes power, backed by Israel and Great Britain, 1971. Number of wives, four. Mistresses, 30. Abused, 34. Number of soldiers employed in special death squads, 18,000. Number of villages wiped out, unknown. Kill count, 300,000, or one in 26 people. Special focus, educated Christians. Flees to Libya in 1979 after losing war with Tanzanian forces and Ugandan dissidents. Motto, in any country, there must be people who have to die. I think about that last statement of I Amin's mean a lot. And I think about how so many times in so many different cultures and countries that statement echoes. And I think about the need to value our lives um, that nobody should be seen as um, expendable in that way. Um, the next poem is called Mouth. My parents. Um, They pack nothing to escape detection, one change of clothes, no books, furniture, or photographs. Sewn into his pants, my father's lab specimens, my mother's wedding ring. A day trip with our daughter, they will say at the border. We will be right back. This poem is called Breath. They never speak of the dead, the massacres at school, friends and family disappeared, how they got word they were next, their crossing to Kenya, then America, what happened in the after to the left. Um, this next poem is called Judges. Um, and I think if you've been, thinking about the titles to my poems, I was thinking about, again, what I was talking about earlier with colonization and how when the British came over, you know, it was, they um, kind of instilled their language as English as the national language and their religion Christianity as the national language over the indigenous religions and languages and, and used that to kind of, you know, um, subjugate entire people and kind of make them believe that what they wore wasn't valuable. Um, And so thinking about how do you go after that? How do you become who you are and who you were um, after colonization? Um, And so kind of how, um, you know, um, Tedros of Ethiopia, I believe um, said, you know, first they come with um, that first the missionaries come and then the, the guns come I'd rather they just came with the guns and so how you know religion and violence have been so intertwined in colonization was something I um wanted to kind of interrogate with this book and kind of you know find my own way to sifting through that and making sense of that um and so the titles are kind of, and a lot of the themes become a kind of um, decolonial conversation with the Christian Bible, with that religion that was um, the kind of um, hand in hand with the violence to kind of understand what it, what is there. And um, um, so this poem is called Judges. He tells them, his American children... How when he was their age, he had to walk two miles uphill to school. After hunting the meat, they would eat that day. After fetching the water, they would use that day. After working the fields long hours before the sun had even risen. Then after staying late to finish homework, otherwise there would not be enough light, chalk or slate. He would walk those two miles back home to hunt, fetch water, plant, dig, or harvest some more, whatever needed to be done, because it was not just working twice as hard to succeed as these, his American black children get to do, but five times, ten, one hundred times, whatever it took. There were hundreds of them and only one mission, one school, one classroom, one chance to be the best and impress the Western missionaries and get sponsored and get out and become something But they do not understand, his American children, how there was no second chance. If his trap sprung free, they would not eat that night. It was winner take all, and he took, even if it meant there would be nothing left behind. You never look back, only forward, move forward to succeed. Competition was the only thing, and winning is everything. But still, his American children say, why does everything have to be a competition? Why do you have to be so hard? And he wonders, how can they want him softer, when there is no room for softness? Can they not see such a thing was death, where he came from? If he did not make himself so hard, he would not have pushed past them all for that one chance to win, escape. And he did escape, but they, his American children, all they say is, can you not just love us? Can you not just take us back to Uganda's to visit so we can know ourselves, learn who we are and how to love ourselves? Love. Had he not taken them out of Amin's genocide, out of love, and given them running water, free speech, the right to vote, a democracy and playing field that had seemed level, all 100% guaranteed by life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, when back in Africa, three of the, three of five of them would be dead already from war, disease, or famine. Dear God, had he not done enough, had he not been enough, had he not tried his best, Had he not brought them here to safety, had he not survived, were they not all still alive? (laughs) Thank you. And that poem, I think a lot of us who are children of immigrants or children of refugees can kind of understand that. And I wrote that poem for my father. It's almost like, you know, the... (laughs) But to, be, to succeed, it, like the refugee or the immigrant has to make their, their children not really understand them because we be understand the new culture, and then there's this wide gap of trying to understand. And that poem was me trying to, you know, span that gap of understanding. So here's a poem about my mom after a poem about my dad, to be fair. Um, numbers. Mother makes the doll after the baby boy who would have been my older brother dies. She sews his bits of curly black hair on top, pricks his finger with her needle, paints his blood on the cotton stuffed face. Two circles for eyes, two lines for nose and mouth, and she is finished. All the time, father is away she will hold baby boy doll and hum the many melodies she learned to sing when a hospital nurse back home in Amin's war to the skin thin shivering ribcage infants, tiny orphan fists flailing to eat their last bits of feces that would not keep them alive another day. The lightness of their bodies in her arms, no heavier than the breath of air that was her song. And that's a poem that my mother never told me, but I had a dream about, and I woke up and I wrote the dream and I called her and she started crying and she said, I never told you that, that she was a nurse in the war and the children, the orphans, the babies, um, their parents had been killed by Amin and they had no no milk, no breast milk, and there was no formula um, and they were just starving. Um, and I, um, and she said, I never told you that. I never told you that." Um, And there was something about, you know, as I started to write this book and be present and open to what was being told to me and what was available to be heard from the ancestors. So much of this book, I feel like I cannot take credit for writing it. I was just listening and bearing witness to what happened. Um, This poem is called Refugee Mind. They thought the leaving would be like the banyan tree, rising to spread wide, branches turned down, become root again, grow new life. But there is work that must be done to connect deep and strong inside alien ground. You must speak. You must let yourself be known by these new children in all your glorious, tangled mess of becoming, your culture also. Burrow down deep in this else, for there are always storms coming, rootless, apart you break. And that poem was a gift. Um, a friend of mine, when I was living in Los Angeles, um, she told me about the banyan tree and I'd never heard of them, but it's a tree that that grows up and then their their branches grow down into the ground and then grow up again. So it's this beautiful image of a tree that rises but then burrows down into the ground to find its roots. And I was thinking, And again, I don't know if any of you have had this experience, but I I find that, you know, um, sometimes when your parents have come from another country, they don't want to tell you, you know, where they've been from. They just want you to be in this country and succeed and and be, you know, in my case, be American. And I was always wanting to know, you know, so much. But the trauma of why the leaving had to happen and plus the wanting the the children to succeed, just create in the new country, created this, you know, um, milieu of silence, of absence. And so that poem was trying to reach through that. Um, How am I doing on time? Um, Jose, Susie, how am I, I didn't set a timer, so I don't know, I'm completely lost. How am I doing on time? Um,
2: two more poems? Would that be good? I think so, because i got to be honest, I was entranced and also. <laughs> <heinous> <laughs> time. Okay, um, so
3: I will have an end with one shorter poem and then one longer poem. Um, this poem, again, is about so many of these poems I was trying to, you know, my, my child was about trying to understand and the silence that, that kind of... Um, people who have immigrated from a kind of traumatic experience kind of inhabit because they don't want to talk about what happened. And so really entering the space of trying to understand my parents and, and that generation and what that experience of living through genocide and escaping was like and how that echoes, you know, um, through successive um, years. So this poem is kind of reckoning with that, reckoning with the idea of, of um, Echoing trauma in that way, it's called, um, and it was grounded in that idea because again, I was raised in a very Christian household, um, and I went to Sunday school every day. Um, the the three men in the fiery furnace. I don't know if any of you had that experience, and how you know they were put into the fiery furnace by a, a you know an evil colonizing king, and um, an angel protected them so they didn't burn, they stayed alive um, and that kind of image, you know, was centering in my mind as I was trying to think of, you know, the trauma of evil colonizing years <laughs> and, and, and um, dictators. Um, and after the war, they still dream of things like angels that shield men from the firing. It is only the lack of heat, the lack of singed skin and hair ash to fill the nostrils and the coolness of the dewed morning air below the unfurled sounding of their winged rhythm rippling the air unfired that is remembering, that is remembered. This, the stuff of miracles that dreams are made of. We never talk of how, now they run from flame, how they cannot cook dinner, how they cannot see any color but red, eyes stinging memory closed, the inferno still blazes, and they hear the crackling sizzle, and they think they see their skin blackening, pulled from their bones like a chicken on a spit, crisp from the firing. these night sweats and shivered terrors, these fever dreams constant and inflamed in this still loudening echo. I'm gonna skip these poems and get to my last poem. So this last poem I wrote, and it it kind of gets into where the book starts talking about, you know, coming to America and kind of having this, you know, this origin story of dealing with, you know, I mean, his dictatorship and British colonialism, and then you come to America and you realize that America was kind of this, this land of, of, you know, this heavenly land to them. And you realize once you get here that it has its own problems and its own, you know, um, story of racism and, and anti-black violence. And so kind of bringing that together in this poem, um, using the figure of the Pieta, the mother and child, which, um, is a kind of grounding figure, um, in, in the collection. So let me take some water before I read this very last long poem. <laughs> and before I do, I just want to again, thank you all for being here. Thank you to Jose and Susie, uh, Maya and Nora and thank you to all of you in the audience, just being here um, and showing up on what is in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I live, a very rainy, <laughs> rainy Monday evening. Um, figure four, Pieta two, black body as crucifix, patterned with a field of Skittles, crossed with seven up against a blood-red sky. Materials, white concrete and lead. When I was a little girl, you and I were the best of friends, dear father. As I followed you down the long test tube flanked dials of your laboratory, funded by the same people who had enslaved your grandparents and bankrupted your country and would deny them the medicines you were discovering, still following you in stores, still sending cops to watch our house because those N words have been up to no good since they moved to our town. I wanted to know why, and wrote down everything you said as truth, until I began to think for myself, and you couldn't have that, so you began to beat at me like a housewife does a stain, as if that would get the education out. The doctors have said you will spend this year dying, and I want to tell you so many things. But yesterday, they let free that white man who killed the little brown boy just because he was brown. And the day before that, they took away the protections for our right to vote. And the day before that, they released a study saying the radiation from the nuclear disaster exploded in Japan has already jumped in the water, swum across the ocean, up through our faucets, our hoses, into our earth, plants and animals, our body is now dying, infected already, and there is not enough medicine for everyone. And you know who there will be not who there will not be enough for. This morning, I had to stop while doing my yoga and curl into a ball, hold myself to keep from shaking. All day long, I felt terrified. Tiny little spasms down my spine and central nervous system. As I remember taking my seven-month-old son for our daily walk because he loves outside, outside, and I love him, walking with him pressed against my body, still feeling my bones realigning, muscles unwinding from giving birth to him, carrying him. And the old white man who lives in the house on the corner yelled, he would shoot us like that other white man shot, that leather little brown boy, just because we are brown too and all I could do was just think, breathe, breathe. (laughs) There are other people's small horrors too. A friend who was trying to get pregnant, another miscarriage, says it feels like meeting a ghost without ever having met the person before. And I just want you, my father, to protect me, teach me how to protect my son. Myself, because they have put in a law that says the last man standing can say, I felt threatened and shoot to kill and then walk free. And they always say they are threatened of us. And they have taken away that other law that says they cannot step in front of our path to the voting house and stop us. And they have never stopped trying to stop us. And I wonder What is to stop them from firing? Knowing their whiteness is their ticket to not guilty, to be set free of, having to feel the rage of, having a man who looks like you in their white house again. That was written in 2011 after um, Trayvon Martin was shot. Thank you so much for listening to my poems. Thank you to all the other readers and um, to our hosts, Susie and Jose.
0: If you're enjoying the Haymarket Live series, you'll also be interested in a new book from Haymarket, Angela Davis, An Autobiography. Featuring a substantial new introduction by the author, Angela Davis, An Autobiography is a classic account of a life in struggle. Angela Davis has been a political activist at the cutting edge of the Black liberation, feminist, queer, and prison abolitionist movements for more than 50 years. First published and edited by Toni Morrison in 1974, Angela Davis, an autobiography, is a powerful and commanding account of her early years of political activity. With warmth, brilliance, humor, and conviction, Davis describes her journey From a childhood on Dynamite Hill in Birmingham, Alabama, to one of the most significant political trials of the century, from her political activity in a New York high school, to her work with the U.S. Communist Party, the Black Panther Party, and the Soledad Brothers, and from the faculty of the Philosophy Department at UCLA, to the FBI's list of the 10 most wanted fugitives. Find Angela Davis, an autobiography at haymarketbooks.org.
2: Thank you so much. Hope we so enjoyed that. I think that a lot of those themes and ideas are going to be in our heads for a while. Um, and I will. I will also say that you spoke of the spirit speaking to you to write some of these poems. And I, th- one of the first things I was thinking when you were when you were reading was how important who's telling these stories are. So thank you so much for sharing that those came to you um, in other ways too. And that how open we need to be to less conventional conversations, right? We need to be more willing to think through what's come into our mind and why and how and where that can lead. And um, I think those poems really... Change my perspective on a lot of things. So thank you so much. Hope. Um, and next up, we are so pleased and honored to share with you the work of Nora Hindi. Nora is a Palestinian-American poet and reporter. She's a 2021 Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg Poetry Fellow. Dear God, Dear Bones, Dear Yellow is her debut collection of of poems. (laughs) She doesn't collect poets. maybe a little. <laughs> she lives in one of like the coolest places in the world, definitely in the country, Dearborn. If y'all haven't been, get down here because it's the place to be. Uh, everyone, please welcome Nora Hindi.
4: Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Um, thank you for an amazing reading and Maya for being here and Jose. Um, And just the Haymarket team on all of their work on this reading and the books that they're putting together, the beautiful, all the beautiful books. Um, And uh, like a hope, my book was edited by Maya. And so it's such an honor to be reading with her. And I knew it was a match made in heaven the minute that she um, started talking about my book. And I felt so seen and um loved and i felt like she fully saw those poems for for how they how i intended them to be seen and so um thank you thank you maya and i'm so excited to read your book and also um hear your reading tonight i'm going to um grant myself some uh i guess compassion and say that uh i'm going through a cold right now or like a sinus infection and so if i start like sniffling um i'm probably crying a little bit but also i have this like really mean sinus infection that's taking over my life today um but i am so thankful to be here with y'all today and so i'm going to i'm going to read a little bit from the book um every time i go to talk about the book i'm not quite sure how to like encapsulate it so i'll just say if you like the color yellow and believe that palestine should be free and also like maybe laughing a little bit um by the book. So that's my that's my pitch. Um I also I'm so excited about these broadsides that are coming out and um I'm gonna read I'm gonna read the poem that is uh in the broadside actually to start out with. And then I'm gonna be really selfish at the end of the reading and I'm gonna read three new poems because I'm a little bit tired of the current poems that I've been reading for the last few months. So Um, yeah, please bear with me and thank you. Summertime. I've carried a keep calm, carry on bookmark in my pocket for the last 22 days. Everyone wants to shake my hand. Hello, my name is light. Look at how quickly I can love, unlove, pretend to love the sound of conversation. I once killed a lot of bees with a plastic bat. They invaded my friend's backyard, tiny sunlights quivering in the air. They were relentless, and it seemed we could fight for an unending number of days. I was nine, and the bees were dying, and we called my massacre bravery. Have you ever gazed at the center of a sunflower? It's so beautiful, it should eat us alive. Yesterday, I dreamt I was fixing an elevator. It only went up forever and ever, but I grew tired of its constant optimism. The persistence of everything sometimes it kills me. Thank you. Um, I've also been I've also been thinking a lot about colonization, like Hope said, and I've been listening to the news a lot, um, which is something that I write about a lot. I am not currently reporting. I was reporting, I got burnt out. Um, I'm trying to find my path back into it and also my path to um, practicing self-love and compassion while I'm in that field, uh, which is became a bit of a challenge. Uh, And so I was thinking about uh, when I was listening to The New York Times, especially the amount of work that is being done deservedly to humanize the Ukrainian people as they should be captured um, and as they deserve to be. Uh, But then I was thinking about how Palestinians are often portrayed in the news. um, We're not called brave. We're not called, um, you know, like we're defending our rights. We are called terrorists. And the uh, contrast that has been so sharp toward that coverage lately is really difficult to, uh, has been really difficult to not see and, and, and think about but anyway i'm going to shift gears and actually um I, I i interacted with this the the cover of the book was a bit of a dream come true i got um adwa um in dubai she lives in dubai to do the cover for it and it was kind of wild cuz i have this poem in the book about calling my own mom from the moon and i was scrolling through this artist's instagram one day just checking out her work and then she had this cover of this Woman in a dress, you know, standing by a phone booth. And so I was like, I need to get this covered. I remember sending Maya like four emails back, back, like, I'm so excited about this. And it came true. And I was, so I'm going to read this poem in honor of that. I call my mother from the moon. I say, guess what? I made it to the moon and it's stunning. And I miss you and you'd love the view from up here. Men don't exist. I can tell by the way she pauses, she's worried. She asks, but how will you bear children in a place with no gravity? How am I to find you a good man from up there? Get down here. I need to teach you how to make a good cake. Your beautiful, your future son will be beautiful like you. Please come down. I miss you. I taught you to be quieter than this. Less hungry for the world so you could fit inside a world unfit for women like us. There is air until there isn't. I've always wanted more than the world she gave me. Up here, my eyes grow larger. I bake a cake. It floats away. I wish she were here to catch it. So... um I'm thinking actually, I haven't, I've, I don't think I've ever read that poem out loud. And I'm thinking about,
5: like, what the fuck this is amazing. Um,
4: so anyway, um, I'm going to like do another sharp transition. I didn't think too much about the transitioning of these poems, but uh, I'm going to read a poem now about the news. So here we go. Breaking news. Um, breaking news. We know debt. Actually, before I read this, I'm going to give it a little bit. I was reporting on evictions that were happening during the pandemic in Akron, Ohio, and the way this sort of happened is I I got this fellowship, and I didn't know anything about housing. I didn't know anything about evictions, and the way that I learned about it and I learned about how the system was working by was by spending three months um, monitoring eviction hearings at the court. Um, and so every day I'd wake up at like nine a m and I'd go to eviction hearings from nine a m until noon, and then I'd write down everybody's name and their address, and I would go and see I would visit them basically, and I would see if they'd be willing to talk to me um, And I didn't realize at the time how traumatizing it was to be a displaced person, seeing people get displaced by the system regularly um until after the fact. Um and I guess that's what I'll say about that poem. Breaking news. We know death is futile. No death as 3.5 thousand retweets, a trauma, a thing named empty, an internet measured in the slow bend of your fingers, clicking the quiet tempo of expiration. Your spleen in the shape of a gun, in the shape of a pen. I am going door to door collecting story. I place a tape recorder at the edge of a child's stroller and watch her position it between her teeth, chew on story and argue she's agent of her own story. I dream of America as nightmare. As child placing drone in mouth, as mother placing drone in child's mouth to condition her tongue to the taste of America, I see you. Door to door, in eviction court I attend, and a judge asks to see my face, so I show her my blood at the edge of survival, an audience of whiteness, of witness, sir, why are you being evicted? Which system, what history, I know your trauma is a thing, we'll name breaking news, your trauma a hunger, we crave your trauma behind a paywall, your trauma we measure with clicks, I document futility to feed America, more story muddled by story, there is a child crying in front of a pink wall in Palestine as her home is demolished, it moves one to tears, to watch your own reflection. On a screen, your face in anguish at another's pain looks so sweet, almost heroic. Thank you. Um, so, I was, um, when I was reporting, I was having a really hard time um, with the power and balance of being the person to document someone's suffering for the purpose of. Um, some white politician or business person to care enough to make or enact change, right? Like the cycle of it felt really hopeless to me. Um and i'm still I'm still questioning and like grappling with these ideas. But then I realized also that i um, as somebody who's never been to Palestine, I write about Palestine a lot. Um, and there is a positionality there, right? Um, and then also as someone who is consistently the first time, I think I picked up a recorder and, and recorded an interview and wrote something was probably with my father, right? Like we want to know our parents' stories and I wanted to know his experience, um, of, uh, growing up in Palestine. So I have, um, I have this poem. I once looked in a mirror, but couldn't see my body. This is after Hassan Kanafani. I document as arguments I exist. I learned this from watching my father alone in the night drawing and redrawing a map of Palestine green ink. Before 1947 he would insist before partition before the nation became history, before my tongue mistook thank you for survival, before I chose an industry that headlines my people dead, a camera melts in the desert sun. From far away, I hear the dying clicks of a shutter, the loud bang of headlines, slamming newspapers, the sharp gaze of eyeballs. Standing before my father, My own pupils gaping at his calloused hands, I too wish to capture this moment, hold it, say yes, this violence is possible, and also there is pleasure in looking. But who is the audience of my looking, and how far does a hurt stretch before it yellows? Um, So in the interest of time, I'm going to read one new poem. And I have been writing these poems about the 52 Hertz whale, which is dubbed the loneliest whale in the world. And scientists cannot, I know it's so sad. It's actually really, there's a documentary about it on Hulu. Um, it's, it's a beautiful documentary. And so I've been writing these poems about this like stupid whale, um, and loneliness and my stupid loneliness, um, and no one has ever seen this whale. We can hear him. We don't know what he's saying. Other whales, he like, he, the, the sound he makes is like 52 hertz. So other whales don't know what he's saying. They can just hear him. It's sort of, I know, it's like really, yeah, it's this like huge giant metaphor for loneliness. And I, as a poet, took advantage of it. So here we are. Here's my, here's my, uh, here's my whale poem. The world's loneliest whale sings the loudest song and other confessions. I won't make metaphors out of fish. If I have to die, I choose the ocean. If I have to live, I choose you. You, everyone I've ever mourned. I believe less and less of sunlight these days. I won't die alone. To awaken crying is to awaken displaced. Ghost of your joy in the bathtub. A face in the mirror. Your nephew's painting in the foyer. My mother cried in bedrooms growing up. I would study her for hours. In a study, researchers learned patients who cried less are likely to have dismissive attachment styles. Today, every bedroom in the house is mine. I stopped crying at age 12. I am angry at the color yellow. Trauma and all eight of its tentacles make a mangle of my skin. I can't find my home as as a child. I hated being the youngest. I hated being looked at by those I loved. In dreams, I spoke a language no one understood. Research suggests loneliness increases cardiovascular disease. When my cousin died, she died alone. Heart failure makes the body go boom. When the world collapsed around Darwish, he wrote of coffee and sex. When you held my body close to yours, I thought of clementines, sweet citrus, all the world's lemons we temper with honey. The world's loneliest whale sings the loudest song. This is what you'll tell me the first time we meet. And I'll think about the ocean. And I'll think about you. I never learned how to swim. I've been drowning my whole life. Studies suggest drowning lasts one to three minutes. I'll never stop grieving. Scientists are still searching for the 52 Hertz whale, but I swear he's here in my bedroom and I can hear him and he's telling me I can stop.
5: Thank you.
1: Wow. Thank you so much, Noor. I'm struck by so much of I mean, first of all, I'm struck by that last poem. Thank you so much for sharing new work with us. Um, That was really beautiful. Uh, I love all of your first lines. Like I I think the way you open poems is so, uh, so beautiful and stunning. So I'm so excited for your book. Thank you for sharing so much about what went into some of your process and then, you know, what we can expect in your book. I want to remind people that everyone that pre-orders Hope's book and Noor's book and Maya's book will be entered uh, into a drawing to possibly win one of the limited edition broadsides. Noor read the poem that was turned into a broadside from her collection. so please get your pre-orders in. The broadsides are designed and printed by Angela Davis-Fegan. Um, if you are someone who has been in Chicago, around Chicago, then you know Angela's work um, and it's really beautiful. So please get those pre-orders in. It would do us a great deal of, uh, it would mean a lot to us. Um, closing out our night, our virtual AWP booth. Uh, You've already heard both Hope and Noor mention Maya. Um, She has been the editor for Haymarket Poetry for a long, long time. So uh, you know, almost all of the collections I can think of that, uh, that you know and love from Haymarket Poetry have been touched and guided and Moved forward by the love and care and vision of Maya Marshall. Um, So it gives me so much joy to get to now get to, you know, turn the attention fully on her as she deserves. Um, And so I'm going to go ahead and introduce her. Maya Marshall is the author of the chapbook secondhand and co-founder of Underbelly, a journal on the practical magic of poetic revision. She has earned fellowships from McDowell, Vermont Studio Center, Callaloo, Watering Hole, Community of Writers, and Cave Cano. Marshall previously served as artist in residence at Northwestern University and as faculty for Loyola University. She is the 2021-2023. Creative Writing Fellow in Poetry at Emory University. Uh, You can pre-order Maya Marshall's All the Blood Involved in Love publishing in June right now. um, Please y'all give all your love and all your energy to Maya Marshall. Oh, my heart feels so full.
6: Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. You know, what an unusual gift to be able to read with poetry peers and heroes, and folks whose books I've seen grow over the last few
5: years. It is,
6: I guess it's what you get when you decide to dedicate your life to poetry, like a, like a fool or a stubborn woman, which I am. I'm am not a fool. I am stubborn and dedicated to this practice. Because we hear from Noor and from Hope and from Jose and Susie and their work that history lives in the poems um, and the voices of the people and the voices of the folks who left and survived. uh, So I'm grateful to be counted on your number. Uh, All right, look at this thing I made. Is that not so beautiful? Thank you Rachel Eliza Griffiths for this cover. I'm gonna read some poems out of it. And then I'm gonna read one long poem that I'm working on uh, currently. And then I'm gonna stop being in front of the camera. I like to be in the background. Um, this book has a central question um, that that each of the poems answers from a different vantage point. So, um, why don't you parent a little is the first poem in it, it is the... You know, the bold of the carousel swings around. Why don't you parent a little? The story is that there is so much loss, so much waste, and a woman who does not make a body with her body. Such sunk potential and a sex that does not produce. The story is that we have progressed. The story is that the black woman is safe. The story is that the black woman is safe if she protects her king. The king is dead.
5: Um, Next, long live the queen.
6: In a corner of a covered porch, outside a house that never belonged to us hung a dung gum dangling palace. Dual bodies hummed inside my parents' marriage. A dry corncaw, the whole husk
5: rattle hiss.
6: In the spring, hornets buzzed, never slick with anything sweet like honey.
5: Um, I grew up in Texas. I haven't lived there for
6: a long time, but it is the place where I became myself. And, um, and so it's important to me. Um, and it's a place where I wanted to feel safe and often did and often did not. And um, for the reasons you see in the news and for the reasons, you know, one feels at ease in the place where they're from. So portrait and the lone star, uh, it reflects a, in life
5: that happens there.
6: Sometimes two women meet and smile for no one else. I looked into the open cleft of a lover and watched the month's first rivulet descend as she called on my tongue's continued praise. In the world outside of plush duvets and soft bedfellows, men with knives call tides of blood from daughters. I don't know what I would do if a man who looked like my daddy hated me, hated my sex all the more because I did not want him to have it or because I have wanted a woman too, wanted to roll a body out of unclasp the straps. What if the only time a black man loves me is when I'm dressing his wounds? Or, on a given day, I prefer the sweet humidity of a lipsticked breath, the ice trail on a summer belly. Somewhere near the home I left, two women lie together openly in bayou humidity, croon in the lovers' spit. Later, one's father, unclasped the straps, rolled their bodies out of a red Kia. Did she ever call him daddy? Was it like the first time he held her? Those bodies near the dumpster, faces faced, facing or turned. I like to believe the lover's last acts were defiant, protective. The women battered him, a door to break through. Um, you know, so I think people should be able to decide whether or not to have children. You know, uh, and there's this thing going on where we, like, imprison folks when they're in refuge, or in need of refuge, and then we give them that Mississippi me, which is, um, and I keep saying we, and I say it because there's this idea of, you know, democratic reign here in the nation, but actually there are some people who have a lot of power and money who make rules, laws, that put children and and other people in detention centers and then make decisions for their reproductive futures, for their futures. Um, And so uh, there was a whistleblower, who may or may not be problematic, but she did say a thing that needed to be said. So this is for Dawn Newton. I have the good fortune to be free, to choose, to have part of my cervix intact, to change the locks after I'm attacked. Somebody offered me a karate class. I could still, with a little more of the luck I've already enjoyed, say yes to a man, to a little sugar. No human has life without blood. I could still go under and come out whole enough to make another a whole life. A child to place to my mother's bosom, Oh, to be free enough to pick apart a rapist man in charge or a God doctor with some script for all the reasons she knows life is hers enough to give or take, like a kiss or a breath, like a wave, to drown, uncover, or cover up. My soapbox continues. An abortion ban is a body snatcher, is an ethnic cleansing. The uterus is a cave, is an incubator, is a vault, is a self-destructing bomb, is a thoroughfare. Semen is an innocent bystander. Penises are just boys being. A woman is a vestibule. A judge is a strict father, is... Joseph, awed by his father's creation, is Joseph relieved of fault. Is Joseph saving face? A woman is a support being. The girl is a receptacle. A fetus without lungs is an unlucky horseshoe. A fetus and a homeless woman is an empty pillowcase. An embryo is a fingernail. A fetus is a jail. A woman who miscarries is a quarterback, executed, point blank. A woman with a felony is insulation. An angry man with a staircase is a felony maker. A live birth with a dead mother is a school lunch. A stillbirth is a $20,000 bill. A pregnant black woman is a dead black woman. A black woman who miscarries is a dead crow. A state legislature is a vulture. The choice is a liability. A Planned Parenthood is a desert. A Planned Parenthood is an oasis. A woman is a treasure chest. A woman is a former voter. A uterus is a leash. A stillbirth, a tether. A 13-year-old is a child. Only that. A woman is a bloom. A seed is an explosive. Fertilizer is a shackle. A woman is a target. A uterus is a target. A felon is a target. But just to assure you, it's not all bad. I have... Um, my poems are not exactly happy, but there is one that's helpful. So here's a hopeful one. The Big Water, which is a duplex, which is a form made by the, the beloved Jericho Brown.
5: I want to say yes to the sea and live
6: with the knowledge that I am small. I live with my knowledge, small despite my good learning. The truth is hard. With all my costly living, truth is still hard.
5: And sober, I find my mind in disarray. So to save my life, I address this disarray. Fear babbles beneath. Terror cannot protect. Terror cannot protect like anger does.
6: And a vulnerable life leaves room for love. A vulnerable life leaves room for you to love yourself enough to lose someone. To love yourself enough to lose someone is to become the open sea, not the estuary. So I am um, moved to Georgia, back to the South, as it were, because that's that's where I want to be. Uh, as it is, and um, I've been collaborating with this visual artist who is making these sculptures about seven types of resistance that descendants of slaves um, have used to to survive, to live, to to turn towards thriving, Um, and there's a myth at the corner, the center of his exhibition about these um, slaves that arrived at Igbo Landing in in South Georgia. Uh, And in it, a a factual thing happened these people who were being taken to slavery, overtook their captors and drowned them, and then they um, chose the sea. So we hear that in Black Panther, you hear it around. Uh, The the myth part is that they walked back into the water and then um, emerged as birds and flew home. Um, so that myth is, uh, is the starting point for this poem, Buzzards. It's a little bit long, bear with me. Uh, the first epigraph is by Sa- Sadia Heidman from *Lose Your Mother. Return is what you hold on to after you have been taken from your country, or when you realize there is no future in the new world, that death is the only future. The second epigraph is from Keith Wilson's poem, Mob. We haven't been made afraid of trees, nor the bottoms of cars, windows, the gavel, the sea. It's morning in the forest where the buzzards made home after they freed themselves at St. Simon's Sound. Some say they flew homeward. Like but their new bodies could not know the way. They ate the drowned whites, two hundred and nineteen years past, nine buzzard generations. What grows here now, outside their thriving few? Crimson giant, sweet viburnum, watermelon, grape myrtle, shell ginger, all these fruit and flower. A song like a little girl's absent-minded chatter. Music, Duranta. Golden dew drop, pigeon berry, sky flower, star tick seed. The river that makes creeks in the forest runs along the street where sunset melts purple and orange behind the green dome of a crematorium. Smoke betrays the life inside. Someone works the machinery of a building, herself alive, a part as from those buried two centuries ago, those sunk earth bodies. Some evenings joggers pass, languid smoke and spirits smudge the sky, clouds escape the open globe in the cemetery's center. And the river, concentric circles, not the boat's belly, they sink it, let the rich spirits rise. This is not the belly of anything. No ballast here, only gravity. The air and the trees are their domain. They roost, then fly their spirits wide. They return, they scavenge. There is no shame in this. They have their work, as we have ours. They make work of rot, and they watch, call them knowers. They see what falls to the forest floor, white tail, Clover covers an animal's neck. Its head lies in shadow. Purple petals spiral up where the eyes used to be. Weeds drape what once were shoulders and arms length from where the head lay, its march. And maybe it's a deer. The field marigolds are not frost tender. Hardy, they thrive in waste ground where a body can be left alone, can be kissed all over by the sun, rain stroked embraced by the fruits of rotted flora. The yellow speckled greens sprout up through the carcass. Ribs beckon house cats and foxes. The buzzards grunt and hiss. They were lost and had to roost. Call them and they do not come. They call one another, Achebe, Hikkoporo, Ndiri, Nzara. In they are descended from those who stayed, lost as they were and far from home, transformed and new to being birds, the sky was unfamiliar, the trees felt safer than water, and so they flew, and so they roosted, and so they returned. They have seen black women giggling and licking ice cream. It is common to call on the family hanging in the trees, even now, even in urban trees, even in southern Georgia, it, is, it isn't only a story. Spirited men and women fought and killed those who meant to use their bodies and kill their spirits. Here, here a story. Once there was a woman who birthed a stone. When it was born, it had the body of a boy and skin the color of bark. By morning, he was a wolf pup, almost entirely dependent on smell. He was blind and deaf. On his first birthday, he became an ember. And so his mother cupped him between her hands and fed him her own breath. It began to fade and so she fed him her papers. When he flagged, she gave him her desk and her books. When he warmed her, he danced. He shimmered blue to white to gold. Some mornings she would find him near static as coal. Some nights before bed, he'd fill the fireplace and In his excitement, he'd threatened to look up the room. She hoped he would become something innocuous, something that would not require constant feeding. To him, she would say, I love you just the way you are. In her wishes, she would say, ficus, or a swallow, become a churning river, or a dam. And one day, he became a man. I'll stop there. Thank you. Giving me his time and sharing his space with me is a it is a it is a gift to be able to share this first book with this brown room and these women um, and this home at Haymarket, which is singular. So,
5: thanks
2: for this. Thank you so much, Maya, and thank you, Maya, for making Haymarket such a home. Um, not just your poems, but your your work at Haymarket has really guided so much of this new voice and this exciting uh, new style that is Haymarket poetry. And we are honored that you are sharing your book in our space and. Thank you. I just, I'm breathless with how amazing that was. Um, Well, we want to give a quick shout out to everybody involved with this reading. Uh, Jose, but also Tess and Sean, Jim, Julie, the whole Haymarket team. Thank you for making everything come together, making it work. Um, we would not be here without the entirety of a team behind us. And thank you so much to Noor, to Hope, and to Maya for sharing your words with us. Um, quick reminder pre-order these books and also we're having a sale 40 off poetry for awp so guess what you can do you can back order some books too so get you all the books um and th- some of these limited edition broadsheets by angela davis Fegan. they're coming out and they're going to be so amazing uh, anything else jose before we
1: go No, that's it. Thank you so much for being here with us. Um, Yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.